You are listening to Let's Talk Trio on podcasts. Keep up with the latest episodes by downloading the Podbean app or stream episodes via our social media accounts. Search for Let's Talk Trio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This episode is sponsored by Student Access. Student Access, the leader in Trio software. Student Access is an online database solution that allows TRIO programs to track their students' information, connect with students by text messages, streamline the APR, and work from anywhere, all online, with automatic updates for changes from the Department of Education. Their technical support team includes former TRIO staff and has over 50 years of combined experience working with TRIO. Make it easier to focus on your priority, the students. For more information and to request a free demo, visit their website at www.studentaccess.com or call them toll-free at 1-800-801-1232. That website again is www.studentaccess.com or 1-800-801-1232. Be sure to share your favorite episodes on your social media by tapping that share button. This is a great way to support the podcast. Now here's your host, Juan Rivas. Thank you, Amelia, for that wonderful introduction. Hello, listener, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Trio. I am your host, Juan Rivas. In today's episode, we have Maria Davis, an alum of the Trio McNair program at the University of Oklahoma. Maria is on the podcast to talk about her educational journey, what influenced her to become a clinician, and her life experience and journey. So coming up in just a bit, Maria Davis. A huge thanks to our sponsors, Angelica Villalpando, Rosario Riley, Jaded Electronics, and Student Access. Thank you all so much for your continued support of this podcast. You too can be a sponsor of Let's Talk Trio podcast. Head on over to Patreon, search for Let's Talk Trio. Choose one of our four patron levels. You can support this podcast for as little as a dollar a month. A dollar a month goes a long way in supporting this podcast. If you own a business and would like to advertise on this podcast, feel free to reach out to us, uh, connect with us. You can also go to the Patreon uh, page, go all the way down, um, and at the bottom, you'll find the uh, corporate sponsorship level. For $100 a month, you can place your ad on this podcast. If you would like to nominate a participant, staff, alumni, uh, or an advocate to be on this podcast, send us an email at letstalktrio at gmail.com. That email again is L-E-T-S-T-A-L-K-T-R-I-O at gmail.com. Again, a great episode featuring Maria Davis, alum of the Trio McNair program at the University of Oklahoma. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Five, four three, two, one. Hello, Trio Nation. My guest on the Let's Talk Trio podcast is a mental health clinician at Summit Stone Health Partners. She obtained her bachelor's in psychology from the University of Oklahoma and her master's degree in couples and family therapy counseling from the University of Northern Colorado. In her free free time, she reads, spending time with friends and family, playing with her dog, Boomer, and working out. She is a Trio McNair alum from the University of Oklahoma. Please welcome to the podcast, Maria Davis. Maria, welcome. Welcome. Hello, everyone. Trio Nation. Thank you all for allowing me to be here in your space. I am super excited. Thank you, Juan, for reaching out. It's going to be an amazing time. Well, no, really, the honor is on this end. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Mm -hmm. 
Yes, I'm super excited. This is my first podcast. So I, I'm telling all of my loved ones about this. Like, hey, I, I'm on a podcast now. I've made it. <laughs> yes, you've, you've reached the, the, the level and you're going to yeah. keep winning higher from here. <laughs> exactly. Um, I love that we connected over social media. That, mm-hmm. that, that was an amazing kind of get together for us. Uh, yeah. Can you talk to a little bit about the audience about how this happened? Yeah. So I, I was part of the McNair program at the university of Oklahoma, OU. Um, obviously social media has been a thing for a majority of my life. So it makes sense that I would follow their pages after I left and graduated and whatnot. Um, and the way that our director manages the Twitter page, she's just connected to everybody and anybody across the country. Mm-hmm. And so I can't remember the exact thread that you and I connected on, but I saw you, you saw me, and the power of Twitter just led us to this moment here. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, and I love it because uh, social media is one of the ways where I outreach to a lot of the alumni. And I and I asked mm-hmm. you, like, hey, would you like to be on the podcast to share yeah. your story? And I love that you jumped right into it and you said, yeah, I want to share my story. I want to talk oh. about uh you know, my trio journey. So mm-hmm. how are you, uh, Maria? How's how's everything going? I'm doing well. You know, it's a little chilly here in Fort Collins, as it I'm really sure is. you know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's sunny. It's Saturday. I'm not working. And I'm talking about trio, which I'm always super excited to talk about with anyone and everyone. So I'm starting my day off great. And you're on a trio podcast, which is already yeah. elevates about your yeah, <laughs> talking about your journey. That's amazing. So we are recording this episode uh, mm-hmm. in the midst of the holiday season when a lot of schools are already going on holiday break. Uh, what plans do you have for this holiday? So this holiday, I made active use of my PTO, my pay time off. So I definitely have that in the works. And I'll be visiting my dad in Dallas spending the holiday season, New Year's season with him, spending it with my friends, my partner, just getting a lot of social connection with folks. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to us about your interest. How did uh, reading develop for you? How did mm-hmm. all of that, uh, how did you gain interest in the things that you like? Very fair. Honestly, I have always been a bookworm from reading little kids books, picture books, to reading like full-blown novels at the age of like seven And really, my dad, after school growing up, he would always take me to the library, rain, sunshine, sleet or snow, always the library after school so that I could focus on my schoolwork. And then I could go and play computer games uh, on what was available. (laughs) Uh But there was a summer reading program there. I was always checking out books. I'm not uh, a gamer, so I didn't grow up with like gaming consoles or anything like that. Reading was my thing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the library, that's just the perfect place to start because you you have free access to so many right. materials, right. local, international, different languages, that sort of thing. So that really immersed me into my reading. Wow. And Amazing. Then, yeah. Spending time with my dog. His name's Boomer. So you can relate that Wonderful. back to Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> and he is just the feisty little thing. He's a Chihuahua Terrier mix. Had him for eight years. But I promise you, Juan, he thinks he's a German shepherd. So he's very, <laughs> very fun at dog parks. I promise you. Yeah. And that's then, amazing. Yeah. And then let's see what else. Yeah. Working out, you know, it's a love-hate relationship, as I'm sure most of us can relate to. And Absolutely. right now I'm on the loving side of it. So right I'm hoping right to stick with it past the whole New Year's resolution type thing. For working out, is it more running, weightlifting for you? Oh, um, gosh. <laughs> Running, excuse me, running is just not my thing. Never has been. 
Um, so I do try to incorporate cardio. I will say to all my health enthusiasts, I keep it to like 10 minutes, <laughs> um, but otherwise it's just strength training. I like putting my body to its limits healthily, of course, um, and just getting stronger and seeing the changes that my body is going over throughout time. It's, it's just really, really good to me. Yeah. Awesome. So you moved here to Fort Collins. How long has it been? Uh, are you enjoying Fort Collins? Yes. So I moved to the Fort Collins area last year. I graduated from UNC in December. So I immediately moved out of Greeley, but I've been <laughs> in Colorado since 2018, August, 2018. Wow. That's mm-hmm. amazing. How are you liking it here? Oh, I'm loving it. And it's, it's been a kind of a culture shock for me in the sense of just being around nature. Um, I was telling you earlier, I am originally from Chicago, so mm-hmm. city girl mm-hmm. all the way. And Oklahoma City, you know, it has a nice vibe. Norman's a nice college town. But here, I feel like it's a nice mix between like cities. You got Fort Collins, Denver, all that. And then you just got nature everywhere. So I'm kind of diving more into that side of myself. Absolutely, yeah. I went camping for the first time this year. Like, wow. How was that? (laughs) It was great. I was scared about bears, obviously. I was like, we need bear repellent. We need that. But I mean, it was totally fine. I went with great, amazing people. It was just a wonderful experience. That's wonderful. I'm lo- I'm loving that you're enjoying the Fort Collins area. I mean, I myself moved here six years ago, and mm-hmm. I can I can tell you like no regrets. Love living Fort Collins. Yes. I love the Fort Collins area. It's just a beautiful blend between, like you said, nature, mm-hmm. almost big city, but not quite. It still has a small town feel to it. So yeah, 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 absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so you moved from Oklahoma to Colorado, mm-hmm. and, and you've mm-hmm. been in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, that moving can be very taxing. How did you handle all yes. those transitions? Well, thankfully, when we moved from Chicago to Oklahoma, I was still very young. I didn't have many things. So that was all my dad. Um, But moving from Oklahoma to here, I just felt like my time in Oklahoma, very grateful for all of it. I felt like it was coming to an end. And I was very eager to, you know, see what grad school is about. I'm the first one in my immediate family to do so. Um, So I was really embarking on uncharted territory here. And, you know, I never thought I'd go out of state. I thought I was always going to spend my life in Oklahoma. So once I had the opportunity to do so, while also continuing my education, I was like, this is a a BOGO, a one-for-one type of deal, you know? So it was nice that my dad moved here with me because I I literally did not know anyone here. (laughs) So I really would have been a fish out of water, but thankfully he came with me, made sure I got my feet grounded, that I was surrounded by great people. And then that's when he moved to Dallas. Um, But honestly, I've just accepted everything with open arms. And gratefully, thankfully, things have been just aligning and working out well for me. And I'm like truly blessed and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So it's, I, I recognize that it might have been a lot smoother than other people's experiences, and I wouldn't change it. That's wonderful. And and I love the energy that you're exuding about uh, being here in Fort Collins. Uh, I can tell you, I'm still in the honeymoon stages with Fort Collins. <laughs> I have It's been six years, and I haven't uh, come down from cloud nine yet. Fair, yeah. Yeah, no, I haven't either. Right on. Uh, so... What's part of your travel goals? What, do you plan to travel in this this upcoming 2023? Any any goals that you have coming up? Yeah, you know, hopefully things with COVID and sickness kind of dies down a little bit more. Um, but I am planning on getting my passport next year. Nice. And then, you know, that just opens up a, a whole new world for me, right? So on my list, I have Spain, Italy, South Korea, New Zealand and the Philippines. My mom is Filipino, so I really you know, want to see that side of the culture. Absolutely. Um, but once I get that like 
just how I was with moving from Oklahoma to Colorado. It's open doors. I'm going. Oh, that's awesome. I think we have two countries overlapping. I would want want to one day uh, go to South Korea and mm-hmm. Spain. Um, yes. So yeah, uh, amazing countries. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you going to, uh, 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 sorry. Uh, we're, so we're going to look back at your life. We're going to mm-hmm. rewind the clock a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your upbringing like? And talk to us about like, yeah, going through life, all of that. Yeah. So primarily I grew up in a single parent household, that single parent being my wonderful father. And even though later I found out that I had siblings, I primarily grew up with only child experiences. So yes, I was very, very much so loved. Some might say spoiled. I say very much so loved (laughs) by my father. Um, And we grew up in Chicago, predominantly with my Black family members. We stayed there. When did we move to Oklahoma? I think it was like 2002. So I was still very much so young. Yeah, um, yeah. When I moved to Oklahoma, and then that's where I spent a majority of my life. But yeah. we still have friends and family back in Chicago. So we would go back, you know, during summers, breaks, honestly, any chance that we could uh, to still yeah. keep those connections. Mm-hmm. But when we moved to Oklahoma, again, single parent household, it's always been me and my dad. We're twins. Wherever you saw one, you saw the other. Attached <laughs> of the hip. And I just grew up knowing the importance of education. My dad really honed that in for me. And I saw that as my ticket to anything that I wanted in life. So that's definitely a, a value that I hold for myself, something that I definitely want to communicate to my kids as well. Um, but honestly, when I reflect and think back about my childhood, it was great. You know, I don't really have any complaints. My dad was an amazing parent. I, I'm sure I wasn't always the perfect child. You know, I had my attitudes, my teenage years, and we got <laughs> through it, right? Um, right? I had wonderful friends, wonderful family. Uh, amazing teachers. And I know we'll, we'll get into that later, but I had amazing teachers that really solidified that education is important for folks, in, in my opinion. Absolutely. And it can open up so many doors. It was just, it was great. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. How would your dad describe you? Mm. Or, depends. Fa- or family and friends? <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> it depends on who won the football game that day, honestly. No. <laughs> Um, my dad, he would describe me as smart, funny, social butterfly, of course, um, very dedicated, hardworking. My family would say the same. Um, my friends would say that I'm very supportive. I'm definitely the the mom of the group, if you will, if anyone's uh, going through anything. Yeah, yes. <laughs> they can come to me. We'll talk about it. We'll have comfort food, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just very family oriented, whether that's chosen oh, family, nice. biological family, whatever. I just yeah. really love helping people, you know, which leads into my profession of being a therapist. I think it all just kind of domino effects. Yeah. From my earliest memories, but I'm I'm very much so for others because that helps, you know, give me some purpose. It helps to replenish me too, because I've gotten that growing up. And so mm-hmm. I want to help others to experience the the love and support that I get. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what you felt about school as you started like elementary, uh, that kindergarten age? Do you mm-hmm. remember what you felt about it? Was it something that you look forward to? Um, yeah. Talk to us about that. Mm-hmm. I think my... My experiences with school, I would say, started off as most people have in terms of kindergarten. You have all your friends, you get nap time, snacks. I'm excited to go. (laughs) (laughs) And then math was introduced into the equation. And that's where the the dislike for school started coming. Math has (laughs) never been my thing, still isn't, but I made it through. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. 
But honestly, while in school was always a comfort place for me. Like, yeah, you know, I procrastinated. Yeah, there were hard tests or maybe some difficult teachers. But all in all, I'm very thankful as to how my academic career played out, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, Honestly, school was never really hard for me in terms of academics. And I don't mean that in a place of bragging, but like it was it was just easy for me. And my dad will say the same thing. He's like, there were rarely any nights that you were staying up till 2 a.m. studying for a, a test or working mm-hmm. on a project last minute. All of my teachers had great things to say about me and vice versa. Like I said, I had many influential teachers in my life. Mm-hmm. It was something that I don't know, just really made me feel confident about myself. And especially when I'm interacting with other people and hearing about their interests, you know, you're good at math, I'm not, let's connect. Or, you know, hey, this thing that we're talking about in history class, you know, that really helps spark some great discussion, developmental discussion for me in terms of, you know, being a person of color, being biracial specifically, mm-hmm. um, you know, the history and understanding the dynamics at play at our, in our country systems of oppression and all that stuff. Um, Not in a sense to where I was scared of the world, but I was trying to figure out how it is at a very young age that I could make it better. And that was always kind of like my motivating factor moving throughout school, elementary, middle, high school, college, whatever. How, what is my, what is my purpose here? Right. That sort of thing. Wow. Um, I I like when we, uh, with previous guests and now with you that we reflect Mm -hmm. a little bit about like, how you're set up to either enjoy school or make Mm -hmm. the most out of it. Mm -hmm. I know for some students, it it can be very like, um, there's some obstacles and challenges, but it sounds like for you, there was a lot of support and uh, Mm -hmm. support and encouragement, uh, even with uh, challenging courses. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I I recognize the privilege that my school experience uh, encompasses and very appreciative of those who have helped me along the way. Awesome. Did you have a favorite topic or subject in school? Uh, Obviously not math. Right. No, definitely not. Um, and in the same vein, science, because it kind of involves some math. So those oh, two same. are just like, no. Same. <laughs> like, I respect the scientists and I respect people oh, yes. who go in that field, but oh my yes. gosh, like to learn all about that, that, that takes a, a level of commitment. Yeah. Quickly learned that wasn't for me, but instead, <laughs> um, kind of stemming from my love for books, being a bookworm, English class was always my favorite. And especially when we were reading something like a mystery book or mythology, like Greek mythology, that has always been my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Spanish class. I've taken Spanish classes since I can remember. Um, I'm good at reading and writing. I got to get better at the talking still. I mean, that's just I, nerves. But. I, I'm more than happy to help. I can speak Spanish so we can kind of help each other out too because I need to sharpen my Spanish. Right, right. The next podcast we can all do right, that. All right, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> but yeah, those two have consistently always been my favorite, English and Spanish. Right on. Uh, mm-hmm. Were there any other extracurricular activities that you were involved with? Um, so in middle school is when I started choir and I did right that on. all the way up till the end of high school. Um, did some competitions, had a few little certificates or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then in high school, the way that it was set up, they really wanted to develop a holistic student. So academically, um, it was Judeo-Christian based, so spiritually and physically. So you would mm-hmm. have to do some sort of physical sport or like working out after school. Mm-hmm. The only way you got out of it is if you were working. So I really wanted a job, but um, I was thankful that that is where my connection with working out, how it is now, kind of started. So I didn't like it, but now I do. Right on, right on. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, Did you have a favorite teacher? Yes, I had a lot of favorite teachers. Um, Please feel free to share. 
Yeah. So the first one that comes to mind, I think, was my seventh or eighth grade history teacher, Mr. Barnes mm-hmm. from Belle Isle Middle School. Um, one, he was just an amazing teacher, especially when it came to history. And he had a lot of passion for it, really connected well with the students. But the one moment that really sticks out um, to me with him was when he called me out. Um, again, I was a social butterfly. I really wanted to be, you know, with the popular kids or whatnot. And so we had like an in-class assignment to do, presentation. Mm-hmm. And so unfortunately, it's my experience that I was always the one doing the work for the other group members. Oh, I'm and sorry <laughs> and when it came to presenting, I was trying to be cool and kind of like playing it off, like, yeah, you know, I did 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 all this stuff for you know in 1492, you know, this thing happened. I can't really remember what. Mm-hmm. Like just trying to be laissez-faire, right. right? And after the class, he pulls me off to the side and he sits me down. He's like, "I know you. That was not you, and that was not your best work." And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> Mr. Barnes, how could you say that to me? But um, that's what I mean by he called me out like he knew what I could do. And that obviously was way not even close to the mark of my potential. Mm-hmm. And so that has always stuck with me because in a sense, and not to shade those students or anything at that time, but in a sense, that helped me to understand to not ever dim my light. And the people that are going to be with me will be with me that I should always put 110% of whatever I'm doing to never do that. So I really thankful for him. Um, Another person that comes to mind is Dr. Mayu from OU, who is also my like McNair research project advisor. Mm -hmm. She really helped me to understand the dynamics of, you know, creating a project, writing it out, doing the research, all that stuff. Um, And that was just a really great experience for me to kind of have that mentorship so I'm really thankful for the McNair program for that. Um, and she she was amazing. Awesome. Mm-hmm. It just sounds like you have, you surround yourself with people that hold you not only accountable, but also yeah. to elevate your academic uh, pursuits. So that, mm-hmm. that sounds amazing. Yes. It, like I said, I'm very grateful for my professors, those who were my mentors, all of them. Right on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many students experience some anxiety or excitement when transitioning to middle school. And we alluded a little bit to this about your experience in, in middle school. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what was the middle school experience like for you? Um, I would consider it a smooth transition in that uh, for me, my middle school was sixth through eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was still within my neighborhood that I was living at the time. So it's not like I have to go to a completely different district or whatnot. And a lot of my elementary school friends were going to the same middle school. So it's not like I had to start from scratch and meet new people in that way. Um, So I still had my friends, again, still loving school at this point. So I was excited to learn new things, meet new teachers. Um, I think the only thing that I didn't like was the fact that we had a uniform policy, (laughs) which I think most people can relate to. Mm -hmm. Um, But those three years, that was great. I, I had a tight friend group at the time, um, still excelling well in my classes. Of course, my interaction with Mr. Barnes. Um, I I really cherish my middle school years. Right on. Mm -hmm. At this point of your educational career, uh, I know we talked a little bit about some of the interests that you had, but were there Mm -hmm. any other things that you were into that you remember that you really liked? Mm -hmm. Um, So again, that's when choir started for me. And I loved that, carried it out throughout all my academic career. 
um, we had a drama teacher there and we operated in trimesters, I believe. So each trimester you have like a different extracurricular activity. And I would always try to get in uh, Mrs. Helms class. That was her name. And just, you know, get my feet wet and acting and thinking, you know, if whatever I was thinking was going to be my career at the time, I think it was like journalism or something. If that didn't work out, you know, I could be an actress or something. Okay. Um, yeah. So kind of being multidimensional with my talents, I guess. Um, a particular instance that comes to mind, that's when I got introduced to K-pop music. Korean pop music. <laughs> oh, really? Awesome. Which, <laughs> which does feed into my desire to go to South Korea. I'll be completely transparent. Um, so. <laughs> Ever since like what 2008, I've been listening to it. I love it. It's a majority of my Spotify rap at the end of the year. <laughs> so that's great. And then yeah. um, that's when I really got my um, feet wet into learning Spanish. My Spanish teachers were great um, native speakers. So that really helped as well. And that just as like choir, that just continued throughout the rest of my career. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so your next educational transition was high school. Do you remember mm-hmm. what you felt about high school and did you uh, develop any interests that carried over or you mm-hmm. created new interests? Yeah. Talk about, talk to us about that aspect of your educational journey. Yeah. High school that threw me for a loop. Um, oh, yeah? So I graduated eighth grade and then that summer I would still go back to Chicago, hang out with family and whatnot. But at that time it was set as to which school I was going to go to which I believe was uh, Putnam City Original. For those who are listening in from the area, you know what I'm talking about. Um, So that's where I was going to go. I was enrolled, classes were picked out. Again, my middle school friends were going to that same school. So I wasn't worried about, you know, meeting new people in that sense. I was chill. Mm -hmm. And then I think a month before I was supposed to come back from Chicago, come back and start school, my Mm -hmm. dad calls. And he's like, hey, have you heard of Cassidy School? And I said, no. <laughs> and he's like, well, it's a high school. Um, well, actually, it's a K through 12 school. But he's like, they have a high school. Look at their website. Tell me what you think. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why? We already have, you know, a school picked out for me. I'm enrolled. Like, why? He's like, just look at it. It's like, mm-hmm. okay. So I look at it and immediately I'm blown away because just from the vibe of it, from the website, you can tell that this school was very uh, predominantly white and very high class. I'll just mm. put it that way. Okay. And so I'm looking at it, I'm looking at, you know, the, the criteria, you know, the expectations, their, mm. their buildings looked like little houses. It was so weird. Mm. Um, I was like, why? I, I don't want to go here. And so that was a lot of back and forth between me and my dad. But the reason why he brought it up was because again, meeting my potential, meeting my capacity to do well. Mm-hmm. He's like, I know you want to go to PCO. A Putnam City original with your friends. And we know that you can act- academically excel here at Cassidy. And I was like, okay, fine, whatever. We'll, we'll do a tour. I met him halfway. We'll do a tour when I got back. Mm-hmm. And the next thing I know, we're doing a tour and I'm enrolled in classes. <laughs> so yeah, complete 180. I was like, what am I doing here? Uh, that's where I got my first taste of imposter syndrome. Because mm. there weren't many kids that look like me, understandably mm. so. First day, we're pulling into the parking lot. Um, it's a private college preparatory school. I don't know if I said that. Um, but we're pulling into the parking lot day one. I'm seeing Mercedes Benz, Range Rovers, Beamers. Oh. I'm like, what are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> um, but even then, I still had amazing teachers, still met amazing friends, mm. academically excelled there. 
Um, so that's where I understood that, yes, I can be pushed outside of my comfort zone because that's mm-hmm. where growth happens and I can do it. Right on. Mm-hmm. So talk to us about that experience uh, being in high school. What did you enjoy most about it? Mm-hmm. Um, I think in a way it was also like another mini culture shock because I'm experiencing people who were uh, very different for me in many different ways, uh, social economic status, culturally, whatever. Um, so getting just to learn that part of humanity um, and kind of understanding my relation to them. Mm-hmm. I think that's where I got even deeper connection with my professors, my teachers at the time, still academically excelling, learning new things. Um, and that's where I also had to do a lot of my own personal development, because mm-hmm. again, not many people look like me. For those who are identical or familiar with the racial identity model, the last two stages of feeling congruent as a BIPOC person, but not having anyone to kind of relate with, that was kind of different, Mm -hmm. sprinkling imposter syndrome, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, even throughout all of that, my four years at Cassidy were amazing. Right on. That's amazing. Now, for some high school students, you, mm-hmm. you begin that uh, that college discussion uh, typically at the counseling at the counselor stage, right? You mm-hmm. you talk with your counselor about that. Uh, were you thinking about college at this point? I was, I was, um, and that's because one, my dad always ingrained into me like you got to go <laughs> to <Yeah>. set yourself <laughs> up well in the world. I didn't even know anything about grad school at the time. I was just focused on four years of my bachelor's degree, and. At the time, I didn't see myself or I didn't really understand the possibility of going somewhere out of state for college. Mm. So the way that Cassidy had set things up was in your junior year, you started those college counseling courses um, with Mm. the counselors. And I was just pretty much set on OU, honestly, University of Oklahoma, Boomer Sooner. It was local. I had been there many times before. My dad loved the football team, so he was going to love that. (laughs) Um, So that was just kind of like my trajectory. That was my focal point. Yeah. Talking about family. So you did bring it up with your dad about Mm -hmm. going to college and and Mm -hmm. wanting to go, you know, higher education. So Mm -hmm. what was that conversation like with your dad? It was supportive. And I would also say that it could only happen to an extent because one, my dad's college experiences were completely different than what mine turned out to be in that he was an athlete. He was living the life um, while also doing well in classes So he couldn't really understand or guide me through like the academic admissions process because he got in off of his skills, off of his physical skills in football, went Mm -hmm. semi-pro and everything. Uh Um, So in that way, I had to either do research on my own or really, you know, talk to my college counselors at the time to really understand that part. Um, And then just understanding like, you know, these are the many different things that you could you know, get a degree in, or you could go in without having any plan. I'm not claiming a degree first and, you know, seeing how that experience affects you, what influences you. So it was all very much so kind of like flying by the seat of my pants, Mm. (laughs) but due to that support that I was getting from dad and those counselors, um, it was safely done. (laughs) Awesome. Mm -hmm. Did you have a list of colleges that you wanted to attend? Honestly, no, (laughs) it was OU. Once, and one then, school. yeah, it was one school that I was like actually interested in going to, but because of, again, the way that our college counselors design things, you had to apply to more. Okay. So I think I also applied to a community college and then they wanted us to apply to a reach school. 
I'm not entirely sure why, <laughs> um, but just like a reach school, see if you get in, you know, shoot your shot. And right, so right. for me, that was Northwestern back in uh, Illinois. Okay. I knew I wasn't going to get in, but hey, why not? Um, and then I think another school, Loyola University in Chicago as well. But my wow. heart was honestly dead set at OU. You were dead set with OU. So mm-hmm. not to ask a redundant question, but why OU? Why, what, what really drew you there? What, what was it about OU that you liked? It was, again, it was local, a campus that I was already sort of familiar with. It didn't mean I was too far away from family at the time. I think Norman's like 30, 35 minutes away from Oklahoma City. So mm-hmm. an easy commute. And then again, my dad, he's always loved their football team. <laughs> Bob Stoops, everything. So he was like, yeah, yeah, go to OU. Gotcha. So it, it just felt more comfortable, more familiar to me. Right on. Mm-hmm. Did you get involved a lot while in high school, while in this this new area that you mm-hmm. were in? Yeah. So still continued with choir, still continued with Spanish classes. Um, again, that sport aspect, I played a lot. I did volleyball, basketball, softball, track. Wow. That doesn't mean I was good at all of them. Okay. <laughs> I definitely did not get my athletic genes from my dad. I wish I did. Um, I will say I was pretty good at volleyball. That was my one claim to fame. Everything else, not so much. Um, and then in my last year, my senior year, I started my school's video club. I'm not sure if they still have it. I hope they do. Um, but we were just doing like mini video projects, mm-hmm. making our own skits, doing our own little mini commercials, whatnot. It was a That's fun... Awesome gift to my school as I was departing. <laughs> that is amazing. I, I like how you're like this broadcast minded, creative yeah. art. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as graduation neared uh, and you were already committed to OU, that mm-hmm. what were you doing to prepare for, for uh, being at OU? Yeah. Uh, I think throughout all of this process, a lot of personal reflection as to, okay, I'm a college student. What does that mean? I'm like 18, 19 at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, understanding the shift in mentality to young adulthood. What does that mean for my family? Um, am I living on campus my first year? Am I not? I think at that time it was still optional to do so. Uh, but my dad was like, no, fully go into this experience, live on campus, experience roommates. Thankfully, they were all amazing. <laughs> um, and just really dive into this experience because he he didn't fully he didn't get the other side of like not being an athlete type of thing, if that makes yeah. sense. No, totally. Like it sounds like your dad went into college uh, as, as an athlete with, with yeah. all the perks and privileges that come with that. Mm-hmm. You were going into college with uh, a bunch of extracurriculars behind yeah. you with your own mm-hmm. unique identity. Exactly. Yeah. So it was definitely, uh, what's the word, nerve wracking to an extent. Um, because I wasn't living at home again, meeting even more people on a grander scale, not just from within Oklahoma, but like internationally meeting folks. You know, that was my first exposure admittedly uh, to international people and just learning about their cultures and, you know, just gaining friendships through that experience. It was, it was a lot, definitely a, a deer in headlights type of moment that first year. <laughs> yeah. But then of course, you know, once you get comfortable, get into your classes, find your friend group, it was an amazing time. Awesome. So you did ultimately choose the University of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to us about that moment that you knew you were accepted and that moment where you knew you were going to OU. Yeah, I think um, I was like, I got the letter during the week. And I say that because I was at school. My dad, he's like, you got a big package from OU. 
and you know a big package usually oh, means yeah. like yeah. you got like, <laughs> you got the box and everything confetti. <laughs> yes. And I was I couldn't think for the rest of the day. Like, oh my God, did I get in? Did I not get in? Is this a big box of like rejection or something? You know, that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And so I rush home after school. He has it on the table. He's ready, sitting there waiting for me to open it. And we just ripped that thing open. And I was like, congratulations. You got accepted in the OU class Amazing. Of, what was I class of 2018? Mm. Yes. <laughs> right on. Um, and we got all the confetti. That was like, this is your student ID. This is how you log in. This is what you need to do. So it was great. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to college. And I'm going yes. to OU, like a big 12 school. Come on. <laughs> yes. Um, so it was just like, yes, I made it. It's like a huge, overwhelming sense of relief. And let's get ready to embark on this next journey. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So talk to us about that moment you graduated high school. What was that like for you? And how did you prepare for your transition to college? Mm-hmm. Um, again, personal reflection, you know, am I really ready for this? Am I really capable? Like, yes, I can ex- ex- excel in a K through 12 dynamic, but college, like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And again, I was, um, my dad, he got his associates and again, was focused on football and whatnot. But mm-hmm. for me, I was really the first person to go to a four-year institution. And so like, really, really, truly first gen. Some, exactly. Yeah. Very first gen. Um, so a lot of this was like reaching out to you know, second and third cousins, you know, who are my age, who were also going through college, like, hey, what did you wish that you knew? Or what was helpful? You know, did you bring a shower caddy? Did you bring shower shoes? You know, something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, How did you connect with teachers? How did you find friends? Like, honestly, Um, so a lot of kind of like external outreach to some folks to kind of understand that dynamic. And then one of my college counselors actually went to OU. So she kind of gave me like a little bit of student insight from her perspective as to how things were. And she was able to connect me to some academic support student there, folks there as well. Mm-hmm. So I was already coming in with a little bit of connection. Oh, good, uh, good. But overall, like, yes, welcoming with open arms and very open. <laughs> That's amazing. So let's let's go right, right there, uh, mm-hmm. Maria, about your first first year in college what was that like and you know your experiences talk to us Mm -hmm. about that yeah so thankfully I had a cousin coming in with me that first year as well starting college so we were buddy buddy attached to the hip um, even though we had different programs and then it was just that gradual exposure of having different sets of classes every semester meeting Mm. different people going to different buildings on the campus you know I didn't really realize how much walking I had to do oh my gosh (laughs) I got a bike very quickly Um, (laughs) and just through that you know meeting people meeting people from different programs um, you know hearing from them you know what clubs they were into Mm -hmm. my second semester of my sophomore year my second year is when I really started getting in the clubs and whatnot. And really it was just one, you know, we can talk mm. about that later if you'd like, but um, it was just like getting my feet wet in many different pools, kind of seeing what felt right, what felt congruent, you know, who I was at that time at 18, 19 years old, whatever my values were, and just figuring out how I could continually develop myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think and, it goes without saying yeah. that I still did not like that. Um. I know that uh, for a lot of students, uh, especially being first gen. So mm-hmm. thank you again for opening up and sharing that part, because mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of first gen- generation students, it's it's kind of hard to handle that first year transition because mm-hmm. uh, you uh, I, I know in my experience, it was a lot of missteps, a lot of uh, mm-hmm. missed deadlines. Uh, mm-hmm. d- did you experience some of that, too? 
honestly, Juan, no, I didn't. And I think a lot of that just plays into the fact of, again, the support that I had and just the type of person I am. I've always been like on my P's and Q's. So I I didn't miss any like enrollment deadlines or anything like that. I had this stuff plugged into my phone calendar, the calendar in my room to where I was making sure I was on track with stuff with, you know, getting to the campus and enrolling in my classes and then just keeping those same healthy habits that have gotten me this far throughout the next four years. Um, Leaving room for moderate uh, modification, you know, hearing things from other people as to what worked for them. Um, but just really sticking to my skills, my strengths, those really helped, you know, keep me rooted and maintain. So could you tell us what was the main difference between high school and college for you? Mm -hmm. The main difference. That's a good question. I think for me, the main difference would be that it was, it was just a, a whole nother level. I think mm-hmm. with, again, the dynamics of my high school and, you know, how that all started, it kind of gave me a taste or like a teaser as mm-hmm. to what the real world is like. And so now I was experiencing that on a grander scale of, you know, not that teachers were holding my hand throughout my academic career, but they really weren't going to respectfully so in college, like that accountability piece that you spoke of a few minutes ago, that mm-hmm. was really present. And they're like, Hey, these are your deadlines. If you need extra time, like self-advocate for yourself like learn to speak up and I mean this in like the most genuine way (laughs) um I was still having great professors during this time but like speak up advocate for yourself um and begin to understand what it is that you need to help you through these next four years because obviously there are all these resources on campus that can help you but if you don't know exactly how it is that you need your support it's going to be rough. Does that make sense? Yeah, true. It does. Mm-hmm. It, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So for you, um, at this point of your college career, you were probably thinking you want to do master's, maybe doctorate degree. How did you, how did you find out about the Trio McNair program? Honestly, I still wasn't even considering grad school at this point. Oh, really? Um, oh, yeah. It wasn't until I got into McNair that I was like, oh, yeah, grad school is a thing, like PhDs and stuff. You know, I have some family members who have that I've heard about before, but it just, it wasn't in my peripheral, if that makes sense. And so mm-hmm. I was working for Project Threshold um, the second half of my sophomore year until the last three years of my life. Oh, you, excuse me. And it was student support services and my mentor in that office, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Deborah Binkley Jackson, shout out to her. She was like, hey, have you ever thought of grad school? Like you're doing well, you know, she would check up on my grades and whatnot. You're doing well. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about doing more? And I was like, Miss Jackson, like I'm going through college. I've been in school for what, <laughs> 13, 14 years at this point. Like I need a break. And she's like, Maria, you can keep going again, knowing my capabilities, knowing what I could do. And that's when she introduced me to McNair. Um, and that's when I got connected to Dr. Morin, Sophia Morin, our director. Right on. Um, and she's like, just have an interview, right? Same thing yeah. with my dad. Just, just do a just, tour, just do you it. know? Just do it, yeah. Next thing I know, I'm doing the application <laughs> for McNair. I am accepted. I'm in the cohort meetings. I'm like, how does this keep happening? <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, very thankful for that connection. Really got me interested in a grad school. And like, yeah, mm-hmm. I can do more. Like I still got, you know, more energy in me. Absolutely. I'm still young at this point, you know, why not? So that's kind of how that got connected. That's awesome. In mm-hmm. what ways did this program help you? 
it just kept opening my eyes. Like my eyes, if I could just like paint a picture, like they were just getting bigger and bigger and bigger throughout my college experience of like, wow, like this stuff is available mm-hmm. for me. Like I can do these things. There's possibilities are endless. And so in McNair, like I could do my own research project. I could get a stipend for this. We could go to conferences. I think during my time with McNair, we went to like three different conferences and each one was just so unique in their ways. The last one I went to is when I was actually done with my research project and I presented it. That was a whole experience. Mm. Um, And just the fact that I could get a master's, like what? Yeah. If anything, if I could change anything, I think I would have gone to a PhD program, like off the jump. I didn't Mm. understand that I could do that. (laughs) Um, but you know, still, I wouldn't change anything about my journey, but it was just all like, oh my God, like I'm doing this. Like me, Maria, I'm doing this. But that shouldn't be a surprise. Well, I guess for the audience, right? Like we're we're not surprised. Like you are, you are a stellar student involved Mm -hmm. doing amazing, great things. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I can also understand that, uh, right? Like uh, sometimes we underestimate our own potential. Yeah. Yeah. And like with the support, with all these new experiences, my threshold was getting higher and higher. To where I, I had all that room to be like, let's see where this potential goes. Let's see where these strengths take me, that sort of thing. And it was just like, oh my God, I'm, I'm doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So while you were at OU, mm-hmm. what were some of the objectives that you had? Obviously, you were getting involved. You were doing a lot of great things. So what mm-hmm. was your objective there? I think I was getting initially caught up in the fact that this is college and this is going to mm-hmm. like set you up to get a, a big person job, an adult job. So my Mm -hmm. first two years, I was very much so like focused on my academics, studying even more, making sure my teachers knew my face, having one-on-one conversations, going to office hours. I was very academically focused. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until, again, the end of my sophomore year that I was like noticing like, hey, there are more ways to be intelligent, not just academically, but socially. Get out there, meet people, do things. Um, So that's where the, the focus kind of... I, I won't say change, but it widened to encompass mm-hmm. other things in my perspective. And then, yeah, McNair just really sent that off for me. Right on. How did you keep from being like overwhelmed for, with all that? I know, so, sidebar a little bit off a little yeah. script, but how, mm-hmm. did, how did you balance all of that? Because that can get overwhelming. Yeah. And I think that's where I really appreciate my self-accountability of like periodically doing an intake with myself. Am I feeling good? Am I feeling overwhelmed? Do I need to go home this weekend and just get a break from campus? Am I doing too much? You know, getting involved with these many clubs or trying to go out to all the parties, honestly, like let's be frank. Um, and just making sure that I'm keeping myself in line with what my plan was. Again, leaving room for flexibility because it has changed. Um, but making sure that everything that I was doing aligned to that goal that I had you know, back in middle school, what is my mark? What is my purpose here? Mm -hmm. Are these aligning with my values or is this something completely different for me? Mm -hmm. And in that aspect, that's where I fell back on that support that I've always had of, you know, my dad sometimes telling me, he's like, Hey, I don't really know why you're hanging out with these people or why you're in this club. You've never talked about, you know, whatever this was at the time, like, what is this to you? Um, And so kind of having that external feedback, not criticism, feedback, really helped me to be like, okay, is this me or is this not? Is this on track with what I want to do or not? Right on. Mm -hmm. So while I owe you, you majored in psychology. Mm -hmm. Are there other programs you were considering or maybe other uh, majors you were also uh, keeping in mind? Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Talk to us about that. 
Yeah. So I went in already degree determined, which was psychology. And I'm not going to lie and say that wasn't heavily influenced by criminal minds and SVU at the time. <laughs> it very gotcha. much so was. You wanted to be the person deconstructing a crime scene. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then in high school, we took a forensics class um, that dealt with the mentality of serial killers at the time. So I was like, oh my God, oh, wow. this is me. Yeah. And then it just really sunk in that that's real life stuff. And I don't have the stomach for that, respectfully. <laughs> so I was like, okay, what are some other things in the grand field of psychology that I could do? Mm-hmm. And so with the different um, degree specific courses I was taking, I was getting more information. Like there's workplace psychology. There's more the research focused uh, cognitive base of psychology. You know, what was going to be me? And then through my experiences with the McNair, I was able to really break that down to counseling, specifically family counseling, which felt congruent to me because that was still in line with my value of helping other people, you know, uh, pouring into others while hopefully getting poured back into and then making connections for myself in terms of being a young adult person of color. Mm-hmm. There are just experiences that other people aren't going to relate to. And I didn't have, you know, yes, I had my family, but I didn't have any external supports in that matter of like, hey, mm-hmm. you went through college or hey, you or you went through grad school as a person of color. Can you tell me about that? Mm-hmm. Um, or just someone to really be emotionally vulnerable with in the therapeutic sense. And so I wanted to be that for other people coming up. Right on. Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, we get drawn to the degrees that uh, we really feel passionate about. For you, uh, what does this psychology degree um, really pull you into helping people and helping others? Um, mm-hmm. it, was that your main objective? Yeah, I think it was because humans are, yes, they're very complex and they're very precious. And I was a living, breathing proof that support is needed. We are innately social creatures. We are not meant to be alone. And whatever that support is that that person needs, they rightfully deserve that. And so for me, if it was more so in a therapeutic sense, like, again, I was the natural mother of the friend group, um, always taking care of friends, family, honestly, anyone who needed it at the time. Um, I, that felt like my, my natural role in this life. So right let on. me really get into that for other people. Right on. Um, spoiler alert. You did something with this psychology degree. Yes, uh, we'll get to that. We'll, we'll get to that here in just a moment. Mm-hmm. But you had an idea then what you wanted to do after graduation with that psychology mm-hmm. degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, McNair really helped me to understand how grad school could take me even further or deeper into that. Um, and to my understanding, like I couldn't really do that with a bachelor's. I needed to get another degree. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, so let's go into more schooling. <laughs> Uh, I say that sarcastically. Still love school at this point. Oh, yeah. Um, And so I was like, well, maybe this is the chance where I can get out of state and really try Mm. something new. Mm -hmm. So when it came to that process in the McNair curriculum to start researching and applying to other schools, I was like, okay, we'll we'll really lean into this. OU was the only school that I applied to in state. The rest of the schools that I applied to were out of state and they were still kind of local. Um, two are in Kansas, one was in Texas. Those are easy drives to make, you know, in terms of like that family support, that connection. Um, Colorado was the furthest thing on my mind. But mm-hmm. even then, when we had gone to a McNair conference, they always had like uh, 
like a college fair, I think on the last day for students Mm -hmm. to get connected with folks. Mm -hmm. Um, Bryson Kelly, he was the UNC coordinator at the time who I connected with. And just the way that he was talking about Colorado, UNC, our counseling program, there was always like an extra pull there. But for me, just like how when I was applying to Northwestern, Colorado seemed like my reach school. So I really wasn't banking on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually prepping and getting enrolled into University of Kansas. I got accepted there into their counseling program. Wow, so and you were making, the, yeah. Sorry. Exactly. It was like another cycle repeat. And so at the very last second, I got my acceptance from UNC and I was like, what do I do? Yeah. Like I said, there was that extra pull with UNC. Um, and, you know, admittedly, Kansas still felt a little too close for home in terms of like, am I really getting out there? So mm-hmm. I switched things myself. This this time it was my choice to switch things and I was booking it to UNC. Wow. So mm-hmm. that is a, so one, thank you so much for sharing that because I think <laughs> uh, a lot of students need to hear this, that mm-hmm. um, when, you, when you're going for a post undergrad degree, that uh, it'll, it'll pull you in different places. Mm-hmm. Um, and for you, it was that kind of the last second UNC yeah. introduction, like, hey, are you considering University of Northern Colorado? Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So what was that process like for you? Like, I know you already kind of briefly covered it, but I'd mm-hmm. like to get, to get to know a little bit more about, you know, you were already committed to University of Kansas. You were mm-hmm. already making uh, this commitment, right? Um, mm-hmm. What swayed you? What what persuaded you to UNC? That was definitely a harder conversation between me and my dad at this point, because from Oklahoma to what's it called? Colorado. <laughs> That's not an easy drive. That's like a, oh, no. yeah. like 12 hours, I think. Oof. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, you could fly, but like flights are pricey, you know, oh, and yeah, it's like, yeah. do you really want to do this? And I said, yeah, like I, out of all the schools that I had toured and applied to, again, there was that pool with UNC when I visited the campus, it was in February, so it was freezing cold, but <laughs> I still saw a piece of myself there. And when I met some of the staff members during that tour, I was like, I could see myself really learning and working with them. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, yeah, I think this is the move. Mm-hmm. And so once we kind of came to that understanding, it was like, okay, that support, that level of support was still there for me. He's like, if this is really what you want to do, we'll make it work and we'll figure it out. And, you know, here we are talking today, lo and behold, it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. But that was where I really had to sit with myself and be like, am I going to hold myself back? Am I going to play it off and be cool? Like how I was in that seventh grade class with Mr. Barnes, Mm -hmm. or am I going to reach the potential that I know I can, that I still have left in that sort of thing. So let's talk about that moment that uh, as you approach graduation and and graduating with your bachelor's degree, Mm -hmm. um, what memories or what was uh, something that really sticks out in your mind about uh, completing your degree and uh, almost getting to this, we're about to transition out without too many spoilers. Going yeah. to UNC. So yeah, talk to us about that. I think as I was approaching graduation, as you can tell, I'm a very reflective person. I, I love it. <laughs> and, I love it. Right. And not just because of therapy, um, <laughs> but I was like, wow, these past four years, yes, they were long, but it seemed to be like a blink of an eye, honestly. And just, you know, seeing my name on the projected list of graduates, seeing the accomplishments, looking back at the little impacts that I did have on campus, Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, my time here feels like it's completely and securely done to where I felt like that helped me make that decision of like, yeah, let's really go out of state. Let's really go somewhere far because Mm -hmm. you did what you needed to do here. 
Does that make sense? It does. Mm-hmm. That does make sense. Uh, so you completed your degree, uh, your bachelor's. Um, talk to us about that moment for you. Uh, you, your dad, family, friends, what was that moment for you? Yeah, it was a beautiful moment. I had a uh, graduation day was, I'll always remember that. Um, we were in Gaylord Stadium. I had family members fly in to come and be there with me that helped, you know, raise me and whatnot. So it was like a full circle moment for them. And then, like we spoke of earlier, being a first generation student in my family to graduate from a four year institution and to do it in four years. Right. Um, and I understand that that comes with a lot of privilege of being able to do that. I know for others, they start and stop or it takes a little bit longer and that's perfectly fine. But for me, that was my personal goal of I'm going to do this in four years. Um, and I did it. I did everything that I said I wanted to do. I academically excelled. I did, you know, get out of my social or I was a social butterfly still, you know, making some connections with people, made my little impacts on campus. I, I felt completed. That's awesome. So mm-hmm. now here we are post-graduation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you wanted to go for a master's degree. You're, you're committed to UNC at this point. Uh, you said that the staff at UNC made you feel connected. Talk mm-hmm. to us a little bit about more, more about that, about uh, your decision to attend UNC and, and your experience there. Yeah. So part of the McNair curriculum when we, when it came to applying and researching schools was excuse me, was to look at the staff there, um, the professors there. Was there anyone that was teaching or had experience already in what it is that I wanted to do with my life, with my future career? Mm-hmm. And at UNC, there was this professor, Dr. Softis. I don't think she's no longer there anymore. Um, but she was the only family therapist counselor or professor there at UNC. And she was a person of color. She was mm-hmm. Greek and Colombian. Um, so she was a wonderful person to know and work with. And with the other people that I saw or other staffs at the different schools that I applied to, no one really had a family focus, counseling focus at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would definitely have to be just purely clinical work, which, you know, I still do elements of that today in my job now, but I really wanted to do something with families and like kiddos and whatnot. Yeah. And so again, that extra pull, that extra connection, that extra uh, tick mark in UNC's favor of like, this is where I could be. And Absolutely. when we toured there, we were able to meet some of the faculty. Unfortunately, I, I didn't meet Dr. Softus at that time, but just seeing uh, the other faculty, you know, what they were working on, on their own research projects still, uh, the different ways, different classes that I would take as a prospective student. I was like, this, this feels right to me. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit more about UNC and uh, the campus there. Um, what did you like? And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, what, what what really drew you about the campus? Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that it was smaller than OU because that means I didn't have to walk as much. <laughs> um, and in that smaller <laughs> setting, it just felt more intimate. And I did experience that throughout my three years there of, you know, everybody knows everybody and you could get connected with everyone over campus. So that was definitely a plus. Um, I think the students there seemed really happy, both undergrad and grad, even though, you know, of course, grad was my focus, but just to see that everyone was seemingly happy, um, Mm -hmm. that they were doing, you know, great things, uh, great student projections, clubs, um, that it flowed over into the greater Greeley and Colorado communities, the work and influences, the connections, it just felt like that was the next step that I needed. Um, definitely that networking part, mm-hmm. as well as, you know, 
your knowing or understanding that my influence could go beyond my college classroom. It could extend into my greater community. Was there a lot of, as you built this community at UNC, uh, Mm -hmm. was there a lot of support while you completed your work at UNC? Yeah, the faculty were great. Um, Of course, coming in with my cohort, we all bonded together, whatnot. I had my friends. Um, I was a GA for different offices on campus. And actually, my second GA, which was the longest one that I had, my director, Dr. Mm -hmm. Talia Carroll, she was an OU McNair alum. And we oh, got connected awesome. through wow. Twitter too. Yeah. yeah. Twitter is just the, <laughs> the place. power of Twitter. Yes. <laughs> so we we were already talking and emailing before I even arrived to campus to kind of set up uh, you know, my college career, as you know, as well as being a GA, what that meant, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, the connections were there, the networking was there, the support was there. It, it was really, I feel like that's where I grew the most in my academic life and my personal life was at UNC. Right on. It sounded like you already had an, a field of study that you had in mind. So mm-hmm. uh, share with the audience, what is it that you studied at UNC? Yeah, so my specific degree was couples and family counseling therapy. Um, and it was, a, I think it was like a year longer than clinical mental health counseling. That was two years. Mine was three years, given the specific focus, um, because dealing, not dealing, but like working with families or working with kiddos, that takes a little bit more expertise, a little bit more knowledge, as opposed to working with one individual who is right. uh, mostly uh, an adult. Right. Mm-hmm. So that must have been quite a lot of work uh, being yes. in that field. Yeah. What Thanks. kept you going? Oh, sorry. Sorry. No, no. Okay. okay. Um, what kept me going? Just the fact that I was actually learning about the thing that I wanted to do with my life now. Um, I wasn't taking science or math courses as like general ed. I was in my classes that I needed to be in Mm -hmm. Um, and just really understanding, you know, how vast the therapeutic world is, how impactful being a therapist of color can be for other folks here. And especially coming to Colorado, um, it's a lot less diverse, in my opinion, than it is in Oklahoma. Um, but I was already used to being around predominantly white spaces because of my time in high school. Um, so I still felt, you know, comfortable in these spaces, but I also understood what my presence could mean for other people. And that just kind of kept that fire going for me. That's amazing. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, you've had quite the experience at UNC. You also held some positions there. Uh, talk to mm-hmm. us about that. Yeah. So a majority of my positions were GAs, graduate assistantships. My first year, I was our the GA for our student vice president, Dr. Katrina Rodriguez. And then after that year, for the rest of my two, three years, I was a GA for one of our cultural centers at UNC. At UNC, we have four race-based cultural centers. I was the GA for the Marcus Darby Cultural Center that predominantly served Black and African-identified students on campus, whether you were undergrad whether you were a grad student, honestly, whether you were like a community high school student, you could find and just chill Mm -hmm. in our building. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was the most meaningful work I had ever done at that point in my life because I was supporting students like me. I was helping to further their development, again, kind of pouring back into them, helping others, you know, decide whether or not they wanted to do grad school, what would that mean for them? It was just, that's where my love for higher ed really developed and deepened because mm-hmm. I was right there on the front lines with students. 
Um, and Dr. Chalia was a great mentor. And then later, Dr. Janine Weaver Douglas, she was amazing as well. She took over the position. It was it was so so fruitful, so beneficial. That's awesome. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask this question. It's kind of off script that I didn't get the, a chance to ask it here. But uh, what, what did you feel once you graduated with your uh, master's degree? Mm-hmm. In terms of academically, I was like, oh, my God, I'm on my way to be a therapist. Like, what? That's amazing. Awesome. Um, and I, at that time, I think I was the first one in my immediate family to be in therapy. Like, there weren't other therapists in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was another trailblazing event I was doing with my life. I think on the other end, just socially, that was the hardest goodbye, goodbye for me, yeah. um, because I just made so many great connections, continuing with, you know, figuring out my little impact or my mark on this campus. Um, it was hard to kind of let that go. Um, but I, I knew that, again, my time was coming to an end. I didn't want to overstay my welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also helped me to understand that those who I helped influence, those who I helped support throughout the way, this was now their time to, Mm -hmm. you know, step into their own. And I would, of course, never want to step on that. So I was like, okay, this is time for me to go. I'm off to better and greater things and greater things are still going to happen on this campus. Mm -hmm. So uh, as that time, I I like how you frame that. Like, uh, I don't want to overstay my welcome. Mm I got to, that you feel the transition coming. So you currently serve Summit Stone. Talk Mm -hmm. to us about your job and this employer. What do you enjoy most about your work? Yeah, so I interned, uh, I did my internship with Summit Stone for nine months last year, from January to November-ish. And I worked primarily with our family and kids location. So that was exactly what I was in school for. It was great. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was like right before COVID happened. So I was still seeing clients in person, which was great. And, or no, excuse me. I got my timeline mixed up. That was like in the midst of COVID. So I was seeing people in person. I was seeing people on zoom and the zoom part, that was an adjustment for me because of course, you know, I always understood therapy to happen in person. And so the whole therapeutic world as you know, everyone else in the world was adjusting to like, okay, how do we still get things done? And also keep people safe. Mm-hmm. So the last few months of my grad program, we had to immediately switch to seeing clients in Zoom, honing our skills that way. So it was definitely a learning curve in that aspect. But um, my internship with Summit Stone was great. My supervisors, uh, my bosses, they were very supportive of me being a, a young budding therapist. Mm-hmm. And then In November, when I had finished all my internship requirements, getting ready for graduation, I still wanted to be with someone's done. I I knew all the people. I knew the the operations, policies, all that stuff. It just made sense to continue. But at that time, there weren't any positions open at the specific location that I had interned with. So I was feeling a little little down about that and a little anxious of like, okay, where where else am I going to go? Because this is what I wanted to do. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm getting a family degree working with families um, and someone's stone, it's a big agency. Yeah. And so I was like, but this is where I want to be. Mm-hmm. So things got worked out and I got hired to a different location that predominantly serves um, those within the substance use population. Okay. And I was like, that is not within my wheelhouse at all. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, like, yes, it was with someone stone. I knew some of the folks on the team, but I'm like, I, I don't have any substance use experience. But one of the things that I really appreciate about Simmons Stone is that they really help to nurture 
your understanding and continuing your education in things that you may not have ever considered before. And so with that being the only therapist job available at the time, I was like, okay, let's go for it. Leaning into a new experience, welcoming it with open arms and whatnot. And now it's, I'm so grateful for having done that. Mm -hmm. And I feel more comfortable working with this population, supporting those folks who need it. Um, Summit Stone is investing in my education of like additional trainings, uh, certifications. I'm also working on my licensed addiction counseling certification. That's amazing. Yeah. So it's, it's been a whirlwind. It's been a ride, but it's also been a fun one. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Are there any folks that you would like to recognize on this podcast? Um, so during my internship, I worked with Brandy Simmers, Darlene Schmidt. She was my supervisor. And currently my supervisor is, um, Adam Fisher. He's amazing. Um, my whole Bristol Cone team, that's our location. Um, everyone has just been really supportive of me as I'm getting my feet wet in this being my actual career job. Mm -hmm. um, still being a young budding therapist, learning the things, allowing safe space to make mistakes, but not necessarily fail, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Um, oh, it's, totally. just, it's been a great time. Awesome. What do you see yourself doing five to 10 years from now? Five to 10 years from now. So I see that being a toss up between doing private practice counseling and still doing something with higher ed. I still have a love for college students. So whatever mix between the two that is, whether it's also serving as a counselor at a college or, you know, just kind of keeping those two separate, whatever. Mm -hmm. But those are kind of my desired career points right now. Awesome. What advice do you have for TRIO participants? Whether they're an upward bound, talent search, student support services, McNair. Mm -hmm. um, does it have to be like McNair student support service specific advice? It, it can be. Yeah. Yeah. I think with that. So for our McNair students, listen up. <laughs> for McNair students. Um, <laughs> for McNair students, I would say learn from my experiences with Mr. Barnes in seventh grade don't limit yourself. You are going to find people who are going to recognize and support, amplify the potential that you have. And yes, you may not know exactly what that is right now, but you're figuring it out. Like as you've learned from my story, it's definitely a reflective process, but don't dim your light. Your light is too bright. Your light is needed in this world. And it's going to help shine on the many different things that need to be worked on in our society, as well as help others to see their light too. Right on. Mm -hmm. If you had a room full of TRIO staff members, what would you mm -hmm. say to them? TRIO staff. I would say y'all are amazing. The work that you are doing for our students, the work that the, the consistent self-advocacy, the resources, the grant funding, all that stuff. Y'all are key people, key people in my life. I'll be a little selfish. Um, and I know without a doubt that you are key people in other people's lives, other students' lives. So you are greatly appreciated. I hope you are thoroughly recognized and we need you. Compare what you thought your career would look like when you were young to now. What would you say to your, 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 your younger self? Mm -hmm. To keep going. And to keep that fire, which I did, um, again, I, I saw myself doing a whole bunch of things growing up, but to my younger self, we figured it out. 
we're doing very well. I'm very proud of the work that I did growing up. And I hope that she is a proud of the work that I'm currently doing now. Kind of doing a lot of past future focused type of talk. Um, but I'm, I'm very proud of what I did. And I didn't get here alone. I got here with the backing and support of my communities, of my villages, and just, just don't take anything for granted. Awesome. Uh, wonderful reflection there, uh, Maria. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much. What is one word you would use uh, that your family, I know we covered this earlier, but upon a lot of mm -hmm. reflection now, mm -hmm. did, did the word change for you or do you feel like one word still describes you pretty good? I don't know if, if I can be described in one word and not to be boastful or anything, but again, humans are just so complex, but I think the words that I mentioned in the beginning of our conversation still very much so apply to me. And in that, I, I find my personal security that yes, I'm on the right track, that I am still myself from a one day one, um, that I'm doing great and that I am Maria. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, Maria, so uh, we are at the we're as we're wrapping up the podcast. Are there any TV shows, books, or movies you would recommend to our audience? Oh my gosh, so many! Um, right <laughs> now, in terms of books, I'm reading *The Silent Patient*. Um, so it does uh, talk about the dynamic between a therapist and a client. Surprise, surprise! Um, but so far, it's great. I'm only about like a third in, but I've heard great things about it. If you all have heard anything, feel free to reach out to me. Let me know what you think. But that's my current read. In terms of shows, I'm not, oh, Abbott Ele Elementary. I love uh, Abbott Elementary. Oh my gosh, so yeah, good, right? So good, yes. Uh, so proud of the cast for winning all their awards. Um, I really love that. And right now I'm kind of going back and watching like old shows. So currently it's Suits on oh, Amazon Suits. Prime. It's free okay. um, with uh, Meghan Markle. Completely forgot she was part of that show. Mm. Um, but yeah, right now I'm watching that and I'm almost done. Right on. Awesome. Uh, looking at your experience in its entirety, is there anything mm -hmm. you would do differently? Well, honestly, Juan, I don't think there would be anything I would do differently. Um, I know I said that, if anything, it would be going straight into a PhD career, but that is still something on my horizon. Again, everyone's journey looks different. Um, right. But honestly, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything. All right. Well, uh, any parting words of wisdom to our listeners? Oh my gosh, who am I to provide wisdom? <laughs> you are, you're um, experienced and you, <laughs> your journey has shaped you to be a very awesome person. So yeah, I, yeah, I feel like I appreciate you have some sage that. wisdom. Um, it's going to sound therapeutic, forgive me, but what I've come to realize is that, especially within COVID and lockdown, um, that you will never have a longer relationship than the one that you have with yourself. I could be married to someone for 30 something years and that will still be shorter than the relationship that I've had with myself because I've been with myself for a one day one. And so why not make that be the best relationship that you have in your life? So yes, I'm talking about the, the cliche, quote unquote, cliche self-love journey, you know, really sitting with yourself, doing those reflective pieces. If you feel like therapy is for you, great. If not, you know, get your, your self-discovery in other ways. But your relationship with yourself, I feel like should be the most influential one that you have in your life. That, I don't know if you know this, but that was like a deeper take to the self-love thing that I've, I've heard. So you mm -hmm. had a, like a, a deeper take of, yeah, you're, you're with a relationship with yourself 
far longer than right mm-hmm. the friendships and the relationships that you make. So mm-hmm. it's an amazing take, uh, Maria. So thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. Thank you. So Maria, it was so good to have you on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, thank you so much for giving us a bit of your time this morning. Um, yeah. A- any final thoughts that you have for us? I just really appreciate this experience. I'm glad talking about TRIO was my first podcast topic. Please feel free to reach out for more or whatnot. Absolutely. Um, We're going to have you on the podcast again at some point. I love it. I love it. But this was a wonderful experience. Thank you for your time, Juan, and just asking wonderful questions, being a a wonderful conversationalist. This, This was amazing. I appreciate you. You, you made this experience uh, all the more wonderful. So thank you so much for your time. <laughs> so we do have a tradition on the Let's Talk Trio podcast where we have the guests sign off. Uh, you care to do the honors? Yes, I would love to. All right. Hi, everyone. This is Maria Davis. I am an alum of the Trio McNair program from the University of Oklahoma. I currently work at Semistone Health Partners as a clinical mental health therapist, and I am living proof that Trio works. Are you a participant, alum, or staff of a TRIO program? Do you want your program highlighted? You or your program could be featured in an upcoming episode of Let's Talk TRIO. Get a hold of us by going to our Facebook page or Instagram and send us a direct message. Search for Let's Talk TRIO. We want to get your story to the public. That was our guest, Maria Davis, alum of the Trio McNair program at the University of Oklahoma. Thank you, Maria, for being on the podcast and for sharing your trio story. Remember, if you would like to be on the Let's Talk Trio podcast, or if you know a staff member, advocate, or participant, or alumni, send us an email at letstalktrio at gmail.com. That email again is L-E-T-S-T-A-L-K-T-R-I-O at gmail.com. A huge thanks to our sponsors, Angelica Vialpando, Rosario Riley, Jaded Electronics, and Student Access. Thank you all so much for your continued support of this podcast. I'd like to take a moment to thank our honorary members of the Let's Talk Trio podcast, Roderick Chambers, Tony Ho, Scott Kendall, and Susan Cramp. The Let's Talk Trio podcast team is John Russell, audio engineer, music producer and composer, and post-production editor. Amelia Castañeda, script supervisor, marketing manager, social media manager, and producer. Juan Rivas, executive producer and host. This podcast was recorded December 17th, 2022. We hope that you're enjoying your holiday break with your loved ones. Uh, hope it's you're spending it uh, in community with others. Uh, we appreciate all of you. We appreciate our listeners. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast, and we will catch you on the next episode.